Section 30 of the Letters of Madame de Savigny to her daughter and friends. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. Letter 91. The Rock, Sunday, February 25th, 1685. Reader's Note. To her daughter. Ah, oh, my child, was ever anything so ill-timed as the death of the King of England? just at the eve of a masquerade. Footnote Charles II, who died 16th of February, 1685, back to main text. My poor little Marcus, footnote Louis Provence, Marquis de Grignon, Madame de Sévigné's grandson, back to main text. It's very unfortunate to have such an unexpected event thrown in the way of his pleasure. I know nothing that can comfort him for this disappointment, but the universal encomiums that have been given to his charming dress, and the hope that the masquerade is only put off for a time. Reader's note to her grandson. My dear child, I make you the compliments of condolence on these great occurrences, and expect yours in return upon my mistaken ideas, for I was at the masquerade, the opera and the ball, snug in a corner, contemplating you with admiration. In short, I was in as great an agitation as you may suppose your poor mother to experience on such an occasion. And after all, there was no entertainment of any kind. Reader's note to her daughter. I enter into your sentiments, my beautiful dear, better than anyone. Yes, yes, I can very well conceive that we are transfused into our children, and, as you say, feel more keenly for them than for ourselves. I have sufficiently experienced these emotions, which are not without their pleasure, when the object is deserving of them, and of the admiration of everyone besides. Your son pleases extremely. There's something inexpressibly smart and agreeable in his countenance. The eye does not pass lightly over him, as over others in general, but rests attentively. Madame de Lafayette tells me she has written to Madame de Montespan that she had engaged her honour that you and your son would have reason to be satisfied with her. I know no one who would be more happy to serve you than Madame de Lafayette. But is it not extraordinary? that we have not yet had a word together on the death of the King of England. He was by no means an old man, and he was a monarch. This shows that death spares no one. It would be a great happiness if he was a Catholic in his heart and died in the faith of our holy religion. England appears to me a theatre that is about to furnish some very extraordinary scenes. The Prince of Orange, the Duke of Monmouth, an infinite number of Lutherans, and a confirmed aversion to all Catholics. But time will discover in what way Providence will direct the performance after this tragical event. Footnote, Charles II was 65 years of age and had reigned about 25 years, reckoning from the restoration of the Stuarts. He received the sacraments agreeably to the rites of the Church of Rome, but more it is said in compliance with the entreaties of his brother than the dictates of his conscience. He had some good private 
qualities, but as a prince his character, says the impartial Hume, was dangerous to his subjects and dishonourable to himself. To rid himself of his parliament, he had placed himself in a state of disgraceful dependence on Louis the Fourteenth. It has been said of him that he never said a foolish thing and never did a wise one. Judging by the following anecdote, he carried further even than policy required, the practice of dissimulation, which would be, as it is declared, the necessary virtue of kings, if it be true that weakness and indolence are their natural vices. It is said that Charles II, having reproached his minister Shaftesbury with being, quote, the greatest knave in three kingdoms, he replied, Apparently, Your Majesty only includes subjects. Madame de Sévigné speaks of the state of England in the character of a well-informed person. The rebellion of Monmouth and his tragical end in the same year, and James II dethroned and driven out of the kingdom three years afterward by his son-in-law, justified but too well her predictions. Back to main text. Time will discover in what way Providence will direct the performance after this tragical event. However, it seems it will not put a stop to the diversion at Versailles, since I find you are to return there on Monday. You say a thousand kind things of the concern it would give you to leave me behind at Paris, if I were there. But as this, to my great regret, is not the case... Make the most of this opportunity. Follow the court. No one is formed to make a better figure there, and I think everything seems to tend toward the completion of your wishes. Mine, though made at such a distance, are not less ardent and sincere than if I were with you. I feel, though less delicately, the truth of a remark you made to me one day, and which I then laughed at, that you were so much mistress of my imagination and my heart that I had you always present with me. This is very true, my child, and I must own I had rather enjoy a little more of reality. Letter 92, The Rocks, Wednesday, August the 11th, 1685 You see, my dear, that we are now come to reckon by days only, not by months not even by weeks. But alas, what you say is very true. There could not be a more cruel damp to our pleasures than the thought that we might be obliged to part again almost as soon as we met. This is a painful idea. It occurs to me but too often. Day or night, I am not free from it. It came in my head the last time I was writing to you and I could not forbear saying to myself, Surely this evil ought to be sufficient to secure me from the danger of experiencing a greater. But I dare not dwell upon this melancholy reflection, and shall now divert it by the thought that I am soon to see you at Babi. I shall not be at all ashamed of my equipage. My children have very elegant ones, and I have had the same, but now the times are altered, and I've only two horses of my own, and shall hire four horses from the postmaster of Mont. And in that manner, 
I shall make my entrance into Paris without the least concern. You will find my leg in a state of perfection, which will make you love Charlotte all your life. She has fancied you from hence more beautiful in the day, and this idea has given her an extreme desire to restore this leg to you worthy of your admiration, when you know from what a situation it has been extricated. All this is past, and so is the visit of little Coulange. He set out on Monday morning with your brother. I accompanied them as far as the gate that leads to Vitre. There we stopped to await the arrival of your letters from Paris, which came as expected and were read with the usual pleasure. As you only mentioned that Monsieur Dormisson's wife was at the point of death, I have not dared to write to him, but as soon as you let me know she is buried, I will venture to send him a line or two by way of condolence and comfort. But indeed, considering the state she was in, what could be more desirable for herself and her family than her death? Ah, my dear child, how humiliating it is to be obliged to drag about the lees of life and understanding. How much preferable would it be could we have our wish to leave behind us a remembrance worthy of being preserved, rather than spoil and disfigure it by the infirmities and weaknesses of old age. I should like to be an inhabitant of that country where they kill their parents out of kindness when they become old and helpless, if such a practice could be reconciled to Christianity. Our gentleman sung Gariamus on Monday evening at Marboeuf's, your brother is not quite recovered of his slight disorder. I've had some delightful conversations with Coulange on the subject he is so much at a loss to comprehend. Scenes have passed between us not inferior to some of Moliere's. When do you expect Saint-Trignon? Footnote, no more letters are found from Madame de Savigny to her daughter till toward the end of 1688 both having passed the intermediate time together at Paris, back to main text. Letter 93, Paris, Friday, October the 8th, 1688. What a tremendous rain, just, my child, as you were going to descend that frightful mountain of Rochefort. How numberless are the vexations of those who love with any degree of fervour. We know not how to love heroically notwithstanding the example of heroism below footnote meaning the chevalier de grignon who had an apartment in the hotel de canavalet madame de savigny's house of paris back to main text but there's no knowing you without being attached to you with the greatest tenderness our poor hero is still dreadfully afflicted with the gout it is a perfect martyrdom. There are several persons of wit and learning, as Saint-Romain, the Abbe Bigot, Croissy. Saint-Romain had been ambassador in Switzerland. Croissy was brother of the Marshal de Catinet, and a man of great merit. He had been captain of the French guards, but had quitted the service on account of ill health. Back to main text. 
there are several persons of wit and learning who visit him with a view to divert his painful moments with the news of the day and other topics but still he suffers greatly our young marquis could not have been at the opening of the trenches for monsieur de Aubon could not wait upon the arrival of the Dauphin on account of the rains. We are still persuaded that in a very few days your mind will be at ease. The Prince of Orange has declared himself protector of the religion of the Church of England and has demanded the young prince that he may be brought up in that faith. Footnote James, Prince of Wales, son of James II, born the 20th of June, 1688, but better known afterward by the name of The Pretender. Back to main text. This is a great event. Several of the English nobility have joined him. You know that La Trousse has taken Avignon. Footnote. Some disputes that had happened between the court of France and that of Rome had obliged Louis the Fourteenth to seize upon the county of Venessin, belonging to the Pope. Back to main text. Madame de Coulanges, who overflows with money, has lent Mademoiselle de Mery a thousand francs. We expect that lady here every day. Monsieur de La Trousse, her brother, will very readily repay the loan. I am much pleased, my dear child, that you approve the coming of the good Abbe de Bigorre. His company will prove no small amusement to me. We entertain ourselves below stairs. Readers note in the apartment of Chevalier de Grignon at the Hotel de Canavalet, back to main text, with frequent conversations upon the state of our affairs. I find there all the consolation that a sound understanding and a generous heart can afford me. For the more the Chevalier is known, the more he must be esteemed and loved. I have no need to ask him if you love me, for I am convinced of it by a thousand instances. But without questioning him upon the subject, he gave me the most charming proofs of it. We eat together and keep a very good table. The philosophy of Corbinelli is to come tonight. We have written in all our apartments Fais ce que tu voudras. Vive la sainte liberté. Footnote. Do as you like. Reign sacred liberty. Back to main text. I have seen Madame de Fontenay she has lately lost her mother and seems overwhelmed with grief. You will judge what impression this made upon me. Her mother died in a shocking way, crying out in all the agonies of despair, and terrified with the thought of taking the last sacraments. She received them, however, but with a gloomy and dreadful silence. Her son and Alior arrived just two hours after her death. Letter 94, Paris, Tuesday, October the 26th, 1688. Oh, what a letter, my child. It well deserves that I should come here on purpose to receive it, as I did. At length, then, you are arrived safe at Grignon, 
and are in perfect health. And such is my fate that, though you are removed at the distance of half the globe from me, I must rejoice at it. Perhaps it may please heaven that ere long I shall embrace you again. Let me live in that hope. You make a very pleasing portrait of Paulina. I know her again. She is not at all altered, as Monsieur de Grignon would have made us believe she was. She is a sweet creature and worthy of being loved. She adores you, and her absolute submission to your will, even in the midst of her joy at seeing you, if you decide that she should leave you again, at once engages my pity and concern. Nor can I help admiring the power she has over herself. Were I in your place, I shall be loath to part with such an agreeable companion, who will at once furnish you with amusement and occupation. I would make her work at her needle, and read works of taste. I would argue with her, and sound the depth of her capacity. I would talk to her with affection and confidence, for believe me, you will never be tired of her society. On the contrary, she may be of great use to you. In short, I would make the most of her, and would not punish myself by depriving myself of such a comfort. I'm very glad the Chevalier speaks well of me. My vanity is concerned in preserving his good opinion. If he is fond of my company, I, in return, can never have too much of his. And I think it a proof of good taste to be desirous of cultivating his esteem. I know not how you can say that your humour is a cloud which hides or obscures the affections you have for me. If such may have been the case formerly, you have for many years past totally removed the veil, and you no longer conceal from me any part of the most perfect and tender affection that one person can entertain for another. Heaven will reward you for it in your own children, who will love you not in the same way, as perhaps they may not be capable of it, but at least to the utmost of their abilities and we can desire no more. Letter 95 Paris All Saints Day, 1688 Nine o'clock at night Philipsburg is taken, and your son is well. I have only to turn this phrase in every possible way, for I will not change my text. Learn then again from this note that your son is well and that Philipsburg is taken. A courier is just arrived from Monsieur de Villasseurs, who says that the Dauphin's courier reached Fontainebleau while Father Gaillard was preaching, and that the sermon was immediately interrupted, and thanks returned to God for this brilliant achievement. No further particulars are known except that there was no assault, and that Monsieur du Plessis was right when he said the governor had ordered wagons to carry away his equipage. Recover your breath then, my dear child, and let the first thing you do be to return thanks to God. No other sieges talked of. 
Rejoice that your son has witnessed that of Philipsburg. It is an admirable period for him. It is the Dauphin's first campaign. Would you not have been grieved if he was the only person of his age who was not present on the occasion in which all the rest glory? But let us not look back. Everything has happened as we could have wished. It is you, my dear Count, we may thank her for it. I congratulate you on the joy you must experience, and beg my compliments also to the coadjutor. You are all relieved from great anxiety. Sleep soundly, then, my dearest. Sleep soundly on the assurance we give you. If you are covetous of grief, as we formerly said, seek some other occasion, for God has preserved your dear child to you. We are in raptures, and in this feeling I embrace you with an affection that I believe you cannot doubt. End of section 30